Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your health care. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Are you telling me Prison Break fans were clamoring, hitting the internet up? I've never heard anyone talk about that show ever. It's seriously, that's one of those series that I've never heard anyone say they liked. So I'm amazed that this is a show that's coming back. The Stream Police Podcast is brought to you by OverdueReview.com. Since 2013, the staff at Overdue Review have written opinions on hundreds of movies, TV shows, and albums. But less than a dozen have made the Five Star Club. To see which titles have been given perfect grades, click to the Five Star Club page at OverdueReview.com. Overdue Review. Better late. Hello again and welcome to another edition of the Stream Police Podcast where we pour through all the garbage out in the media wasteland and tell you what's worth picking up, putting on your shoulder and uh, and, and carrying along with you and what's worth just leaving on the refuse pile to burn. Uh, I'm Clint Davis, the movies and TV editor at OverdueReview.com. I know you love my colorful met- metaphors and, uh, and my TV recommendations even more. And today will be kind of a weird show because it'll be all movies and television, my friend. My esteemed colleague, our music editor, Andy Sedlak, is trying to uh, still set up his uh, home setup to record the show because he uh, recently changed jobs. So we'll give him until the next episode to figure out what the hell's going on. But you're stuck with just me today. Appreciate you guys tuning in. And uh, this week we've got a packed show, so I'm going to go ahead and jump right into it. Let me go ahead and light my, uh, light, light my stogie this week in my closet in Cincinnati, Ohio, where I'm talking to you. More than half of the show's budget goes to uh, sustain my stogie, uh, my stogie habit. So just uh, just letting you know, I guess a budget of zero though is uh, puts me puts me in the red, right? Uh, welcome into the show. Let me go ahead and crack open some emails this week. I, uh, I got a couple of them that I wanted to answer. First off, got an email from uh, an old friend of mine who's listened to the show, our boy Todd, who says he's listened to every single podcast multiple times. I love them. I think they are great and have turned me on to some TV shows that the wife and I have loved. I just recently got into Scream Queens, and we both completely loved it, and I also overlooked Bloodline until you raved about it, so I started it. I've only seen the pilot so far, but I loved it. Thanks for doing these, and keep them coming. I look forward to it every time. Todd, really good to hear from you, man. Uh, Hadn't heard from him in a while, and... Uh, good to know he's out there listening to the show. Uh, good to know that any of you guys are out there listening. If you want to email me anytime, it's theclintdavis at gmail.com, T-H-E, clintdavis at gmail.com. Love to have uh, love to answer your questions or just hear your comments here 
on the show. You agree, disagree with me or Andy, uh, whatever you think, just uh, just let me know. But yeah, Scream Queens I talked about in a previous episode. You can search back through on Acast there or uh, iTunes, wherever you listen to this show, Stitcher, and uh, find this, the episode where I reviewed Scream Queens, if you want to hear that. And also, I talked about Bloodlines Pilot last week. I'm going to be talking in-depth about that show uh, coming up in a future episode of The Stream Police. So, uh, one more time. Thanks, Todd. Thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Uh, and also, one email from Joanne, who wrote in and asked, which shows are you actually watching right now? Because it seems like you're kind of watching everything. So, what am I actually watching at the minute? Um, and not just things that are on, but that I'm actually I'm going through right now. Well, let me give you the entire list. I'm watching Orphan Black right now, BBC America show that's on uh, Amazon Prime. I'm streaming it on Amazon. I'm watching Bloodline right now. That's on Netflix, Netflix original. I'm watching Transparent. That's an Amazon original on Amazon Prime, streaming it there. NYPD Blue. Uh, the I had never seen the later seasons of that show, so I'm watching that entire uh, series back through now. That was an ABC show now on Amazon Prime. So as you can see, I'm watching a lot of things on Amazon Prime right now. Game of Thrones I'm watching right now on HBO. Veep and Silicon Valley also on HBO. I've reviewed uh, all three of those shows in previous episodes of this series. And America's Got Talent on NBC I'm also watching right now. Uh, live as it airs. And I've reviewed that show on a previous episode as well. And I'm actually going to talk about AGT in just a minute also. So there you go, Joanne. Orphan Black, Bloodline, Transparent, NYPD Blue, Game of Thrones, Veep, Silicon Valley, and America's Got Talent. Those are the shows right now that I'm uh, actively going back and forth between uh, as the days go by. Appreciate you writing in. Again, you can reach me at theclintdavis at gmail. Dot com. All right, we did a new segment last week that I think a lot of you guys liked. I don't know. I didn't get any email saying that you hated it, so I'm going to continue it. It's the greatest TV show theme song of all time this week. And for this week's edition of the greatest TV show theme song of all time, I'm going to take a look at one that has a common factor among great TV theme songs. As with most of the truly classic TV theme songs, you only need about five seconds of it to immediately recognize the song and to think of the show. Are you with me or not? Love is All Around by Sonny Curtis on the Mary Tyler Moore Show. How will you make it on your own? How will you make it on your own? The opening lyric. Talk about nailing the premise of a TV show in the first line of its theme song without having to hammer the audience over the head with a complete synopsis of the program in the song. The 1970s, to me, were the greatest era of TV show theme songs, and this one that opened the Mary Tyler Moore Show in September 1970 on CBS is just awesome in every single way. This world is awfully big. Girl, this time you're all alone, but it's time you started living. Its sound matches the era with like a little bit of soft rock vibes, and its lyrics match the story of the show, which is a 30-year-old woman who strikes out on her own to try to make it in the TV business with no net to land on if she fails. It's time you let someone else do some giving. There's some fear, there's some joy, there's some anxiety, there's a lot of freedom in this song. A lot is summed up in 60 seconds. 
by Sonny Curtis. The song, as I said, is called Love Is All Around, and it was written and performed for the show by Sonny Curtis, which is a name that you might know if you're a rock and roll or country music nerd, but you probably won't know him if you're not a huge music nerd. Curtis is a rock and roll Hall of Famer as a member of Buddy Holly's The Crickets, and he's written at least two songs that I bet you know. He wrote I Fought the Law, which was best known as a Clash song, and he also wrote I'm No Stranger to the Rain, which Keith Whitley sang in the 80s and absolutely is one of the best country songs of the 1980s. So, Sonny Curtis doing this song for Mary Tyler Moore Show. You might just make it Now, the story behind the song is like this. In an interview I read, Curtis said he wrote the song in a single afternoon after reading a four-page synopsis of what the Mary Tyler Moore Show would be. He performed it with an acoustic guitar in an empty office room for the show's co-creator, James L. Brooks. And even though they told him they weren't anywhere near needing a theme song yet, they were still in the early goings of even you know, getting the show off the ground. They loved the tune so much and immediately had him record a demo. You might just make it after all. Mayor Tyler Moore Show had a long run. After the show was off the air in 1980, Curtis actually re-recorded Love Is All Around as a country song with an extra verse to fill the tune out a little bit. Here's a bit of that version. Love is all around, no need to waste it. You can have the town, why don't you take it? You're gonna make it after all. The Mary Tyler Moore Show ran for seven seasons and 168 episodes, winning 29 Emmy Awards, which was a record back then until Frazier broke it, and also it won a Peabody Award before ending its run in 1977. An amazing run for Mary Tyler Moore Show. Curtis's theme song accompanied that show for its entire run, undergoing just a few slight changes here and there. If you never saw the opening titles of the Mary Tyler Moore Show, seriously, go to YouTube right now, or if you're on the Acast app, you can see the link right now as I'm talking, and spend a minute with that video. If that doesn't inspire you just a little bit and put a smile on your face at very least, you're probably dead. So that's this week's greatest TV show theme song of all time for this week. And yeah, I briefly mentioned it there, but uh, if you do listen to the Stream Police on the Acast app, actually, they have a really cool feature where you can like see the links of things that I'm talking about, things that Andy and I are talking about, videos to like trailers of movies. If I'm talking about that movie, I'll, I'll put the trailer on there so you can pause and watch that video or see a picture of something that I'm talking about if I'm talking about a certain person. Um, it's pretty cool. So that's on the Acast app, though. Uh, however you like to, sh to listen to the show, though, I don't care. I just like that you listen to it. So I mentioned before one of the shows I'm watching right now is America's Got Talent on NBC. It's on Tuesday nights at 8. And I just wanted to say a couple things about season 11 real quick as we're about two episodes into it. And I, I, I talked about America's Got Talent last year in an episode on the show. I uh, gave like a full rundown of it, why I enjoy this show, why it's one that I watch every summer. It's because I feel like it is the really the weirdest experience on TV. There's just nothing like it. It's a perfect summer weeknight entertainment show. It's just something to turn on and melt away for two hours and enjoy watching. And I don't feel like it's one of those shows that makes you feel stupid when you're watching it because it's not about gossip and it's not about um, it's not about contestants stabbing each other in the back. And, you know, 
aha moments and stuff like that. It doesn't have that kind of stuff. It, it, it doesn't make you... I feel like it doesn't make you feel dumb. It's just entertaining to watch, and it's just a freaky show. You get to see people really honestly let their freak flags fly in front of the entire country um, on national television. So now for this season, Simon Cowell has stepped in and filled the judge's seat that Howard Stern vacated last year. And so far, Cowell has been so nice that it's weirding me out. I mean, you think of Simon Cowell, you think of his days on American Idol where he was just shredding people to pieces and he was telling people that they should never sing again. I remember he said that to somebody, just never sing again. I mean, it's brutal. Um, Not even like in the privacy of your own home. He said, just don't do it. Don't ever do it again. He'd tell people that they sounded like they belonged on cruise ships and not, you know, instead of instead of touring the country. I mean, he was he was ruthless, man. He was brutal. And uh, and honest, but sometimes just brutal. But now it's like he's a softer, gentler Simon Cow here on America's Got Talent. I think there's something magnetic and impressive about Simon, which is why he's been so popular on camera on these various shows that he's started and he's judged on. But it is funny to see how fatherhood and like a different style of show than American Idol have maybe softened him up a little bit. I mean, Simon is giving yes votes to singers that are horrible. Horrible singer, simply because he finds them entertaining. He gave a yes vote in one episode this season already of AGT to a 50-year-old dude who looked like a wax figure and sang like the sleaziest, worst Elvis impersonator you have ever heard. The guy kept forgetting the lyrics to the song, and Simon gave him a yes. Hey, look, please let the dice stay high. Let me shoot a seven with every shot. Viva Las Vegas! That's Simon Cow. That's the same guy that used to strike fear into the heart of teenagers who were trying to go on stage and live their dream of being a singer. He gave a thumbs up to this guy. He also gave a yes vote in the last episode, most recent episode of AGT, to some 82-year-old guy who sang Drowning Pool. Singing is a loose term. I'm using that term very loosely right there. But the the point is, he gave that guy a yes vote. This is a kinder, gentler Simon Cowell, to be sure. So meanwhile, you wonder, who's like the hard-ass judge then on AGT? And in in fact, it ends up being Heidi Klum. It's kind of stereotypical to have the German be the villain. Uh, But Heidi Klum ends up being like the bad guy on America's Got Talent. She's the only one that's really giving honest critiques and and really not giving yes votes uh, out to just anybody this season. Uh, she has to actually think that they're worth a damn, which is amazing that she'd be the only one that would do that. The other three vo- uh, judges are just not doing it. But uh, she gave a no to both of those acts I mentioned, but they both did pass through anyways. So talking about AGT made me want to bring up something that uh, I- I've been wanting to talk about on this show for a while. Reality television gets a bum rap for in, in critical circles and, you know, in some audience circles for good reason because most of it is garbage, it's it's produced cheaply, it's 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 heartless, uh it's got no emotion really involved except for kind of like cheap stuff. Uh there's nothing really real about it, which is the mo- the ultimate irony that reality TV is the least real TV that you can watch. But I did want to give I wanted to shine a spotlight on five reality TV shows from the history of TV that I actually enjoyed watching. And top of my list, uh not number 1, but first one I want to mention is America's Got Talent just because I've already been talking about it. But AGT has been on since 2006 on NBC. And the reason that this is one of the five reality shows that I have actually enjoyed over the years is that it's bizarre, fun, and unpredictable. 
And I feel like that's not something you really get with a lot of reality shows. Most of the time they are predictable to a point. I mean, Survivor, it's the same thing every year. Um, you know, The Bachelor, it's the same thing every year, year after year. Amazing Race mixes it up uh, some, but at, at a point, I mean, it's kind of the same thing every year. You get the same squabbles among teammates. You get the same kind of teams. You see the same locations over and over again. It's 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 really the same thing. But with AGT, things do change up, and it is a bizarre show, and I like bizarre a lot. You don't just get singing and acting or even comedy um, on this show. There's stunts, magic. There's some beautiful mixed media stuff that I have honestly only discovered through this show, like dancers dancing with digital backgrounds behind them or, or green screens around them that um, transform the whole thing into like some kind of magic show. It's it's amazing stuff. I have been awed watching this show more times than I have watching other reality shows. And although it's ironic, uh, I feel like that America's Got Talent doesn't have a single American judge on its panel. Um, and it also seems like about half the contestants are American. Um, pretty much everybody's foreign on this show. I mean, you think about the judges panel. we got Simon Cowell and Mel B., who are both British. We've got uh, Heidi Klum, who's German. And we've got Howie Mandel, who's a Canadian. That leaves just Nick Cannon, the host, uh, as the uh, the lone American up there on America's Got Talent. And uh, and Cannon's great. He's a, he's a great host. He does an awesome job. I feel like if this show lost him, it would be hard to replace Nick Cannon. He's he's probably my favorite host of a show like this on TV right now. Who's Nick Cannon? Daddy, Nick Cannon's hilarious. Man, f- you, son. All right, number two in the five reality shows that I've actually enjoyed over the years. It's controversial to bring up. Donald Trump, as a massive tool running for president, is honestly a scary idea. But Donald Trump, as a massive tool hosting a reality show where he craps all over people who are trying to make it in business, was fantastic. The Apprentice on NBC, which has run from 2004 until now, Arnold Schwarzenegger is about to take over for Trump. Um, you know, given the election and everything, and who knows if it'll still be as good. But, you know, The Apprentice is one of those shows that I honestly did really enjoy a lot. Every time I watched it, I enjoyed this show. There's no question that Trump makes for a good TV personality, especially a judge on a competition show. Uh, But, you know, I'm going to leave the politics out of it. The show presented interesting challenges, and that's really why I liked it. The challenges were interesting. I felt like they were useful challenges. I felt like they did test the smarts of uh, of the contestants more than just their physical prowess. They tested their ingenuity, which was a really cool thing. And I felt like the show honestly could teach the viewer a few things about good business practices. I mean, I did learn a few things every time I watched this show, that things that I would have never thought of about running a big business. Plus, this might be the only reality show ever where the Celebrity Edition was actually worth a shit. Celebrity Apprentice might have been better than regular Apprentice, to be honest, which is really hard uh, to say about any other show. Usually Celebrity Edition is like, oh, my God, we're, we're, we've jumped the shark, folks, and uh, now we're bringing in some D-list celebrities to kind of beef this thing up. Apprentice actually would get some good people on, and uh, it would it would kind of be – it would really be fun to watch them try to work together on projects. So I enjoyed The Apprentice a lot. I don't know. You know, I, I'm a big Arnold fan, so I'll, I'll see if it's still worth a shit. But uh, that's definitely one of the five reality shows that I have actually enjoyed. I'm project manager, so my ass is on the line. Number three on this list is probably actually number one in my heart. This is the first reality show that I actually uh, this is the first reality show that I actually remember enjoying. I remember getting into it. The Mole on ABC. It ran for five seasons between 2001 and 2008. But I'm mostly going to be talking about the first season because that was the only season of the show I actually watched. 
This is probably my favorite reality game show ever. And if you watch The Mole, there's two types of people, really. There are people that love The Mole, and there are people that never watched The Mole. Um, it was ultimately, this show I feel like was a victim of being too clever and perhaps a little bit too complicated. I had to go back and look up again like how the show even worked because it was so complex. But basically, here's how The Mole worked. The show was your typical season-long reality competition where you had a group of people competing in physical challenges in exotic locations to eventually win a big pot of money. But the cool thing about it was that the big pot of money changed every season. It was based on the entire team's output during challenges. So the whole team had to pitch and work together to raise the money in the pot at each challenge. And ultimately, only one of them would win it. So basically, they're all like helping each other out, but they're helping out whoever is going to win the show, not necessarily themselves. The big twist, though, on the mole is that one contestant in the group was an, a mole who tried to hinder the team's money-earning efforts every week. He was working with he or she was working with the producers and was doing things subtly to try to like hinder the team's efforts. It was really it was just a really cool thing that made things mysterious, and the audience did not know who the mole was, and obviously the people playing didn't know either. Contestants were not voted off. Instead, at the end, they all took a quiz at the end of each episode to see who knew the most and the least about who the mole was. And whoever knew the least was cut from the show. So it was really about your smarts. It was really about how much attention you paid. And just a really cool show, The Mole. I wish they would – I hope they bring it back. Also, it was the – it had Anderson Cooper as its host uh, back in the day. So it was really cool. But The Mole uh, was on ABC for five seasons between 2001 and 2008. And may it rest in peace. It was a great show. Ten strangers playing for up to $1 million. Among them, a saboteur, a traitor, The Mole. The winner, the one who answers the question, who is the mole? Number four on this list of five reality shows I actually enjoyed, America's Next Top Model. 22 seasons of this show from 2003 to 2015. Typically they were doing two seasons a year, or they called them cycles, actually, which I never understood. Um, I liked America's Next Top Model because it had interesting challenges. Again, it was a li- it was like The Apprentice. It could teach you a few things about the modeling and fashion industries if you actually you know paid attention. If you could get past the BS drama and catfighting that was going on there, they had interesting challenges they planned. They had fun, authoritative judges on their judging panel, and they had good-looking women. And they also had a peek into a business, like I said, that most people know nothing about. I mean, the fashion industry is a very closed door and secretive kind of business. So uh, it was cool to kind of get like a backdoor look into, uh, you know, what it, what actually went into this business and, and how tough it actually is for these girls. Um, sometimes America's Next Top Model felt cruel, and the physical challenges did seem silly and pointless, but the photo shoots that they did were really cool uh, to see come to life. If, you, if you're like a creative person like me and you enjoy seeing people, um, you know, work on their craft, I think that was what was really fun about America's Next Top Model. Their, their big challenge every week, all the girls would compete in a photo shoot with a real, you know, noted fashion photographer, and uh, they would, you know, basically have to, it would be wearing different costumes, doing different sets in different locations, and they'd put together a portfolio, the images they got, and the judging panel would look at that portfolio, and that was what they judged them based on, and they cut whoever had the weakest photo shoot. So it was kind of cool in that way. Tyra Banks hosted and created the show. She was pretty annoying most of the time, um, and she wasn't going anywhere. But I really did dig the hell out of this show for a few seasons. I really enjoyed watching it. I have never in my life yelled at a girl like this. When my mother yells at this, it's because she loves me. I was rooting for you. We were all rooting for you. How dare you? 
learn something from this. You go to bed at night, you lay there, you take responsibility for yourself because nobody's going to take responsibility for you. Top Model was canceled uh, after the end of its last season in 2015, but VH1's apparently going to bring it back with none of the original people involved, so none of the original judges, and uh, I don't think Tyra Banks is even going to be involved in the new VH1 version. So who knows? Maybe there's still some life left, but usually when a show goes to VH1, that's pretty much all she wrote. And finally, in the five reality shows I actually enjoyed, here's one that I bet you probably didn't hear of, but if you did... Friends, I feel like we were in an elite club together. Work of Art on Bravo. It ran for only two seasons between 2010 and 2011. I watched both seasons, and I loved this show. It was called Work of Art, The Next Great Artist. Very cool show that was over much too quickly. What this show did was it rounded up a bunch of young, struggling artists and had them compete week after week to ultimately win a solo exhibition at the Brooklyn Museum and $100,000 cash. So really good prize, right? I mean, you get a solo exhibition at a major museum in New York, bunch of you know important people are going to see your work and you get a hundred grand so i mean that what artist wouldn't take that the judges uh, on the show were art critics art collectors and artists themselves so there was kind of an air of authenticity there in the judging that was happening the biggest problem i feel like with work of art was that it definitely had an air of pretension around it sometimes but it was a really cool show because it was cool to see these artists put under pressure to create a new piece every week often in mediums that they were just totally uncomfortable with. I mean, you'd have painters having to do sculptures. You'd have photographers having to do paintings. It was really cool just to see some, see who would be the most well-rounded and who would kind of capture the theme of whatever the week's project was uh, best. And I think it really put their creativity to the test a lot. Um, I loved the exhibition portion of the show where they would put their art on display and the, the judges would come around and look and critique them. And I liked the judgment segments at the end of each episode a lot. I, I liked everything about Work of Art on Bravo, and I'm sad that that show got canceled. I, I really wish it would come back in some way. It was just a neat idea for a show. It's been said that good art is not what it looks like, but how it makes us feel. Your work didn't make us feel anything. There was a lot of process in your work, but not enough portrait. Okay. Eric, we heard a lot of backpedaling, but there's no excuse for a bad painting. There you go. Five reality shows I actually enjoyed. I'm going to run them down one more time. America's Got Talent, The Apprentice, The Mole, America's Next Top Model, and Work of Art. Only two of those are still on the air as of uh, right now. All right, as I said earlier, Andy is uh, not doing a segment this week, but I'm going to put my feet up for a second, take a few hits off this stogie, and leave you for just a minute. I'll be right back after this, friend. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. 
All right, I'm back. The closet's nice and toasty today. It's about 95 degrees today in Cincinnati, and that bumps it up to about 105 in the closet, and the stogie's not making it any better, but I do it because I love you, my friend. Let me get back to the small screen with you guys and uh, and ask you kind of a philosophical question. Who says that there are no original ideas on TV anymore? All right, it was rhetorical. You don't really have to answer it. As bad as it is that we keep getting TV shows where stand-up comedians play loosely fictional versions of themselves, it's even worse when we take a popular movie or a TV show and just redo it. I started thinking about this because I was seeing on, uh, I think it was the History Channel just in the last couple weeks, they were doing a new version of Roots. And I'm like, why of all shows did they need to remake Roots? I mean, what possibly spurred them to remake this? Why not just remaster the old one in HD and re-air it? I mean, there's nothing wrong with it. There's nothing that needs to be updated when you're talking about a show that's set in the 1800s and you're talking about a show that earned 37 Emmy nominations and nine wins at a Peabody. It's one of the greatest TV events in history. Why redo that? I mean, what's the point? It's essentially like remaking The Godfather. Is really That's what it is. I mean, Roots for TV is like The Godfather. It's kind of like Citizen Kane. I mean, it invented basically a new format of television storytelling. It was so meaningful at a time when really all we had were silly sitcoms on TV and game shows. Um, I mean, Roots was like, it took TV to... To a new level. So why are we redoing this? Why are we remaking this? I don't know. I guess it all comes down to to the almighty dollar, or as Homer Simpson would say, the almighty dollar. Now, reboots on TV are, I mean, they don't have to be a bad thing. Let's look at a show like Fargo. I've raved about it on, uh, on this show before. If you want to look back to a past episode, uh, I gave a full review of Fargo, why I feel like it is the best show on TV right now. Fargo is the best possible example of what a reboot can do, because what it does is it takes the universe in which a beloved story is set, in this case, the uh, the movie Fargo, the Coen Brothers movie, it just sets a show in that universe. It doesn't retell the story. It creates new stories that make the world of that movie even more rich. So now you can go back and watch Fargo, and you can think about, oh, my God, at the same time, I mean, we've got Lester Nygaard living in this town, and we've got, you know, the supermarket king, and all this stuff is happening in the same world. I mean, you can imagine it all happening. They aren't just taking what worked about a film and stretching it out over 12 episodes, which is what so many reboots like to do. I'd also be remiss if I did not mention the show Hannibal, which I thought was going to suck when I first watched it because I love the Hannibal Lecter films. And I'm like, God, why do this on TV? This is going to be so stupid. Every week, was he just going to be eating people? And it was the best show. It was my favorite show on TV before they canceled it. And then Fargo took over as my favorite show on TV. So my favorite two shows, my last two favorite shows, have been reboots. So I'm not just sitting here saying reboots suck ass. They can be fantastic. They can be better than the movies they're based on. Because we know TV can get way deeper than movies can a lot of times. But the problem is most of them are just a cash grab. Let me run down for you the insane list of reboots that are coming new to TV this fall. And also the ones that are on TV right now. First off, here are the reboots that are on TV right now. The aforementioned Fargo. We've got Powerpuff Girls. They just redid that. 12 Monkeys is now a TV show. The Odd Couple is back on TV. The Girlfriend Experience, based on uh, the Steven Soderbergh movie, is a TV show. Rush Hour was a TV show that just got canceled after one season. Scream is a TV show. BattleBots is back. 
The X-Files is back on TV. Limitless, that movie was turned into a show that was just canceled also. Minority Report, that show was also just canceled. Bates Motel is on TV right now. And Teen Wolf is on TV right now. And I'm probably missing a few. But those are the those are the reboot TV shows based on movies or other shows that are on TV just right now. Ones that are that are currently airing. Now, here's an even more insane list. This is like double the length of that one I already ran down for you. This is the list of reboots that are coming new to TV this fall or this winter, um, coming up in 2016, late 2016 or 2017. These are all reboots. First off, we've got Westworld on HBO, based on the 70s movie with Yul Brenner. Um, I think this one could be really, really good. It's got Anthony Hopkins and Ed Harris in it. It is HBO. It's a cool premise. It's a, about a... a a theme park that basically goes awry when uh, the robots, the AI that are like programmed in the park, kind of take on a life of their own and 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 start raising some hell in the park. That's what the movie was kind of about, anyway. So it'll be cool to see where the show goes. We've got Uncle Buck on ABC, starring Mike Epps in the role that John Candy made famous. We got Lethal Weapon coming to CBS as a TV show with Damon Wayans playing Murtaugh, the character that Danny Glover. Uh, made so famous over the years and said he was too old for this shit. Training Day is actually coming as a TV show. This one I don't really get as a show. I mean, I don't know. I I guess you could do that premise, but I feel like it would be just for for a network show. It's going to be too many episodes for, you know, oh, a a cop is corrupt and his young, naive partner is uh, trying to learn lessons from him about how not to behave out in the field. I mean, how can you make that interesting for like 24 episodes just in one single season? So Training Day will be on CBS. It'll have Bill Paxton in it as like basically the Denzel Washington character, the bad guy. And then we've got the Ethan Hawke character being changed to a female detective in the new show. The Exorcist is coming to Fox. People are excited about that one. I just, I don't know. Again, I don't understand how this is, how that could be an interesting show. It worked well as a movie. It was pretty quick and, um, you know, very eerie, but we'll see what they can do on Fox. They've, they have had some luck with some horror shows. Uh, speaking of horror, Rocky Horror Picture Show is coming to Fox uh, with Laverne Cox filling in the role from Tim Curry, Dr. Frankenfurter. And, you know, I don't know. I think Laverne Cox is a very talented actor, but... I just I don't know about redoing the Rocky Horror Picture Show. It's so beloved, and they're not doing it live. They're just like redoing the movie, basically. So we'll see if anybody could fill in for Tim Curry. It probably would be Laverne Cox, but I'll just I, I don't know. I'm gonna I'm trepidatious about this one. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> We got MacGyver on CBS. That is coming back as a TV series again. Young MacGyver. Taken is coming as a TV series to NBC. This is going to follow a young version of Liam Neeson's character from the Taken movies. A writer from Homeland is signed on to uh, do the pilot. And I think Taken is actually supposed to premiere after the Super Bowl. It got the coveted post-Super Bowl premiere slot. So you can look for that uh, coming soon. Or maybe, actually, you know what, I think I might be mixing it up with 24 Legacy because I think Fox has it this year. So 24 is coming back as a reboot also. And this time it has nothing to do with Jack Bauer. Instead, we've got a main character that's going to be played by the guy who did Dr. Dre and Straight Outta Compton, Hill Star. And, uh, again, it's an all-new series, all-new cast, new storyline, but it's going to be called 24 Legacy. So it's essentially the same name. And I think that's the one, actually, that's going to be debuting after the Super Bowl coming this year. 
Twin Peaks is coming back to TV. We've been hearing about this one for like two years. Is it finally going to premiere? I don't know. It's coming to Showtime, though, and I'll actually I'll give this one a pass because the first series ended so quickly, and fans really wanted this one. So the fans wanted it. Why not? Bring it back. Do it on Showtime. Probably be cheap to do, and it, it could be interesting. Who knows? And maybe they'll just do it for a season and, and kind of wrap things up. Prison Break is coming back to Fox. This one makes me scratch my head. That show just ended in 2009. I mean, the body's not even cold yet. It's barely in the ground, and we're going to revisit this series? I don't understand. I don't, I don't know. I don't understand. Why did they cancel it to begin with if they were just going to bring it back? I mean, what, what? clearly they didn't have good reason to cancel it. Are you telling me Prison Break fans were clamoring, hitting the Internet up? I've never heard anyone talk about that show ever. It's, seriously, that's one of those series that I've never heard anyone say they liked. So I'm amazed that this is a show that's coming back. Frequency is coming as a TV series to the CW. You remember that movie with Jim Caviezel and uh, uh, who else was in that one? Dennis Quaid, where the guy could like talk to his dead father through a CB radio. It's kind of a really weird idea, but I guess they're going to do that in like a police version. A detective can talk to dead people through a radio. Who knows? That'll be on CW. Riverdale is a show coming to CW. This is not so much a reboot, but it's a live-action version of the Archie comics uh, so the characters from Archie Comics in the town of Riverdale, they're going to be the stars of this show. So it'll be like a teen drama comedy thing on CW. Pretty much typical fare for them. But weird that it's going to be based on like a 1950s comic book series that most kids probably have no connection to whatsoever. Time After Time is coming to ABC. This is uh, a show that's going to be based on a 1979 movie called Time After Time, where H.G. Wells uses a time machine to chase down Jack the Ripper. Yeah, pretty crazy premise. Um, apparently they think it's going to be a good TV show. I don't know. Animal Kingdom is coming as a TV show to TNT. That's the gang- Australian gangster movie that came out a few years ago. It was nominated for some Oscars. Um, two game shows are coming back to TV. $100,000 Pyramid and The Match Game are both going to be returning to ABC. And Match Game, dude, you talk about one of the best game shows ever. I am interested to see how this new version will go. I don't know, since Charles Nelson Riley is no longer with us, I, I just don't understand how this show could live up to it. To me, Charles Nelson Riley was the Match Game. I used to watch that show on Game Show Network all the time when I was a kid. I thought it was so funny. Uh, Shooter, remember the Mark Wahlberg movie Shooter? That's coming as a TV show to USA. We've also got Star Trek being rebooted as a TV series once again for CBS this time. So people are already like up in arms about some of the things CBS has done um, and saying they're going to do to that show. Emerald City, which is going to be a show based on the Wizard of Oz books, is coming to NBC. And finally, MTV Cribs is being rebooted by MTV on Snapchat. It's not even going to be on TV. It's going to be on Snapchat. So there you go. The future of TV is on Snapchat in uh, little like 10-second bites. That's the the full list, I believe, of reboots coming to TV this year. Those are all the ones I could find anyways. There, I could be missing a few, but that's a, that's a solid list for you of shows that are going to be based on movies or older TV shows that will be hitting TV just this fall alone. The ones I have the highest hopes for um, are Westworld, uh, definitely have the highest hopes for Twin Peaks, and uh, I don't know. I think Animal Kingdom could actually be pretty good, too, from the trailers that I've seen for it. And while I was looking up all these shows uh, that are going to be premiering this fall, I did come across one title that I had to point out to you, so I want to give you a new show alert. On June 19th on Travel Channel, a new series called Top Secret Swimming Holes is going to be hitting the airwaves. So if you, you couldn't live uh, without a, a show that 
apparently shows off where the best top secret swimming holes are in all of America or maybe the world. That's going to be coming June 19th on Travel Channel. That might be the worst title for a show and worst like sounding show I've ever heard. Top secret swimming holes. Shh, don't tell anybody about my swimming hole. Finally, here on the Stream Police podcast, I want to give you a recommendation of a movie that is right now available for you to stream on Amazon. It's on uh, Apple. You have to pay for it. It's not streaming free anywhere right now. It's also on DVD and Blu-ray, but it was a really, really good movie. I just wanted to give a shout-out to a movie called The Witch, which actually came out in 2015. I saw it in early 2016. It was an indie flick. Uh, that my wife and I went and saw at uh, at, the, at my beloved art theater here in Cincinnati. And uh, The Witch was directed and written by a guy named Robert Eggers. And this is essentially his debut movie. He's, he has not done any work on any other movies, hasn't written any movies, hasn't directed any movies. He just came out with this one, and it's one hell of a debut. The film stars Anya Taylor-Joy, a 20-year-old uh, young female actor, uh, essentially making her debut also in this movie, and she's the lead character. Uh, Ralph Ineson also stars here. He completed the British acting hat trick, which to me is when you act in Game of Thrones, Harry Potter, and the British office. So uh, congratulations to Ralph Ineson. Um, also, Kate Dickey, who was on Game of Thrones as well as another co-star, you'll recognize her as Sansa Stark's aunt, who got thrown through the hole in the floor by Littlefinger. Um, sorry if I spoiled anything for you, but yeah, she's dead on there, just like many people are. So she uh, co-stars as well. The Witch is just this very eerie movie. If you love horror and if you love artistic, well-done horror, you really will dig this film. It's a very well-done horror movie about a family in 1600s America who gets tossed out of their town because of religious beliefs. So they have a disagreement with the town. The father has a disagreement with uh, the elders in the town, and they throw them out on their own. So the family has to move out to this small cottage in the country, and bad things start happening to all the kids in the family except for the oldest girl, who is then scapegoated as a witch by her mother. Now, remember, this is 1600s New England, so we're talking Salem witch trials time and that kind of paranoia and uh, neighbor-on-neighbor, family-on-family paranoia comes into play big time in this story. It might be the, uh, the central part of the story and what drives the entire narrative. The doubt that her mother voice onto this girl starts to spread in the other members of the family and into the audience as well. We start sitting there wondering, is this girl a witch? Is she doing this? To, uh, to her brothers and sisters and to her mother and father? Is she bringing this hell upon them? Um, even though, you know, she's this essentially innocent-looking, blonde, young teenage girl, and uh, she's, she's our central character, but we start to doubt her as well. Nothing is spelled out for you in this movie, which is what I really like about The Witch. It definitely gives you something to think about, and it's supremely well-made for a horror film. I mean, we're talking about this is like high drama quality movie making. This is not slasher horror Friday Night B cinema here. Um, it feels like the kind of film that Stanley Kubrick honestly would make if he were still alive. When I watched it, that's the first thing I thought. I was like, man, this guy, I, I kind of, the director, I was like, Jesus, he's got a major heart on for Stanley Kubrick. I think that's exactly what I said to my wife um, because it just felt, looked a lot like a Kubrick film. The ending of it especially felt a lot like something out of Eyes Wide Shut, just eerie. Am I dreaming? What is going on here? It was a really cool, I, I love the ending. It stuck with me for so long imagery from this movie. It's one of the best movies I've seen this year, but I really didn't like it 
after it had just finished, which is what's really interesting about this movie. It took me days to kind of realize how much I loved The Witch. When it first ended, I, I like I said, I felt like it was a Kubrick ripoff. I didn't like it so much. Um, I think it just kind of uh, confused me. But then the more I thought about it, the more my wife and I talked about it, the more I talked about it with another uh, guy at work, I just realized, man, I loved that movie. It was really good. It stuck with me, which a lot of films don't. I see a lot of movies, and I forget a lot of movies. This one I'm not going to forget. Do you ever have that happen to you? Do you watch a movie, and you're like, eh, I, I don't know. I didn't dig it. Didn't like it. Kind of sucked. And then like a few days later, you're like, oh, my God, that movie kicked ass. I loved it. And you want to go back and watch it again? That's The Witch for me. So that's now on DVD, on Blu-ray, and uh, digital uh, as well. You can find it in Redbox. Wherever you want to watch it, go just dig up a copy of The Witch on a Friday night when it gets dark and uh, and, and turn it on. It's a short movie, too. A quick watch. Thomas, take your children outside. What does this to me? What does this? Oh, God. William. William. Hold it. Children, away from this. Thomas, now. And I'm just going to mention, since I'm talking about horror there, that The Conjuring 2 is now in theaters. I haven't seen it yet, but uh, I do have a review of the first Conjuring, which was a horror movie I absolutely loved, uh, that is now up at OverdueReview.com. I wrote that review a, a couple years ago after I saw the first Conjuring. So go up there and check it out. It's uh, at OverdueReview.com. Just search up there for Conjuring, and uh, you'll see it come up. I, I dug that movie a lot. I don't like haunted house movies uh, really at all. I definitely don't like ghost movies. I've really never liked them. I always just think they suck, and they ha- always have the same tropes. Uh, but this one was just really cool. So I'm excited about Conjuring 2. I'm looking forward to watching that one. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the Stream Police Podcast. Coming up in future episodes, I'm going to run down my definitive favorite shows on television right now. Also, the most interesting-looking new shows for the 2016-2017 season. I'll also be reviewing uh, Orphan Black, Transparent, and Bloodline coming up in future episodes as well. So stay tuned here to the Stream Police. As always, go back into our archive, listen to some of those classic episodes. Uh, They are evergreen, so if you see a show, if there's a show you want to know my thoughts on, you can pretty much find it. I've reviewed a lot of shows on this uh, on this podcast over the last year and some change that we've been doing episodes. Thanks to you so much for us spending some time with us here on the Stream Police. Until next time, stream on. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.